Welcome to the Down and Front Podcast. I shall be your host this evening. My name is Warren, and I'm with a couple of my buddies. And we're going to go around and say that who's here. So uh, I'm going to start with uh, Josh. How's it going, Josh? And uh, what, are you, uh, what are you sipping over there? Uh, everything's good. Uh, I am super excited yes. about this episode. Yes. And I am shooting Ooh. torpedoes, drinking the Sierra Nevada torpedoes. Shooting tor- torpedoes. You're at like seven or eight right now? Uh, this is... Called him out. Damn the torpedoes. <laughs> four. Four. Okay. I'm um, also have to my left here. Have uh, Mr. Mike. How's it going, Mike? And uh, what are you? Uh, what are you sipping on right now? Uh, right now I got some Americas. Uh, I also have a word that I can't pronounce. So that's it's a bottle of wine that I literally have no idea what the pronunciation is on. So I am currently <laughs> sipping on the uh, old fashions, something everybody would call uh, negrets and shandies, as well as another glass of this uh, sweet moscato festio. Festijo. Festijo. I believe it's pronounced Festijo because there's no I in this. But that's a Wiener Oh, it is Festijo. It's Festijo. That's not a J. That's an I. So there we go. It's a Spanish um, sweet Moscato, and I'll be sipping on that also. Uh, Jesse, what you got? Hey, folks. Uh, I'm right now drinking a Ballast Point Watermelon Dorado. Oh, so good. They're phenomenal. They're, they do kind of kick my face in yes. a little bit. I kind of wish that the beer was less high, like, less alcohol content. I Because I just want to drink it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I, I would want to have, like, five of these a day. But if I have five of these a day, I'm probably going to black out. Like, but if you increase your tolerance, you can have, like, I don't know, like I mean, 12, 15 a day? I've had, I've had, like, two now, so it's all right. All right. But that's what I'm at. Rylan? Hey. Thanks for having me again. Of right course. now, I am drinking, quite fittingly, a double bastard ale. <laughs> Ooh, good choice. Is that intentional? Uh, yeah, I saw it. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have it for the occasion tonight. Did it, Did anyone uh, drink the like the Game of Thrones beer from a couple of years ago? Yeah, the oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was good. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It just like fun. that sparked the. Uh, yeah, I saw online they actually have like a sampler pack of all those flavors that they brought out. Really? And I think they brought out like another one for this season. But uh, this is a nice hearty red ale. I do like red ales. And it's got a nice little phrase down here. It says, you shall know the bastard and the bastard shall set you free. So I wonder if it was like kind of made for this night. Okay. Okay. Well, I thank everybody for coming. Um, Tonight that we will be talking about the uh, last half of the uh, Game of Thrones. So season uh, episodes, uh, season six, episode number six through ten, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that. Now, I would kind of preface this that we're going to go into a little bit more of a, like a non-spoiler section. We will talk about spoilers. Realistically, if you haven't seen this show, just stop listening to it right now because anything that we have is going to be an actual spoiler. Also, if you haven't seen the show, what's wrong with you? But that's a, that's a different conversation. So that's what we have. I mean, it's um, going to be at least a couple days later. Like, you're behind the times if you haven't. 
watched. Yeah. All of it. So it's already been ruined at a water cooler for you, anyways, by the time you listen to this episode. That's true. Uh, uh, there, there was one small thing I do want to talk about the last particular episode. We did mention uh, a particular character in the actual movie. Uh, we called him a MacGuffin, and that was Hank the Octopus as a MacGuffin, which we actually meant of a deus ex machina. So, I do want to correct that. Uh, the Ryan Dowds in this world actually corrected that for us, so I mm. appreciate that. Sounds about right. Yeah. That yeah. Do that. yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I was there. I was like, I think I know what he's talking about, but I'm not sure. And I was kind of scared, so I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, let's actually get into the non-spoiler section. We're looking at the last particular episode. So, episode 6 through episode 10. Season 6 of Game of Thrones. Overall thoughts and opinions going around. Who wants to start? Season was incredible. I think it really returns to that, like, season two, season three form, where they just had big stuff that blew up, you cared about the characters, and it was awesome. I really like how they picked up from some of the Kurt Tales of episode f um, season five, and they really, really drew out a lot of these characters. Some more than others, of course. I know a lot of people were talking about the fact that... Um, uh, Rickon didn't really have a chance to do anything. Yeah, but who cares? Exactly. <laughs> so I, I like the, the fact that, and it was going off of a, a point that Mike had made, I believe a couple episodes ago that we were talking about, um, of the Hodor episode of, now that we're starting to see of, hey, who's the real MVPs of the show? So I do like that, and I thoroughly, thoroughly love the season. Oh, this is actually probably my favorite season, because like you were just saying too, it's like thinning out it's thinning out the herd. Like, at this point, they're finally saying, like, okay, who are the real main players in this show? And they're slowly just killing off everybody who doesn't really need to be around. And Sometimes not so slowly killing them. Not so slowly <laughs> killing them. But, but it's... Oh, this last episode, that did a good amount of work yeah. was, real quick. I was asking Barlin about this. Is this the episode where the most characters have died? Like most, most main names. characters, like most, most names, name more Ooh. even more so than the Red Wedding. Um, I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. 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 I would say that from where we left in the middle of the season, when we uh, we saw the door, and you were just totally heartbroken, um, where this one ended, I feel like there's a lot more hope. There was so much set up and so much to look forward to, that now it's like okay. I can take a breath, and I am so glad that they finally, this is not spoilery, but I'm just glad that the King's Landing storyline with the Sparrow is just wrapped in a bow. Because that was what I said before we watched this episode, I was like, I hope, that's the one thing I wanted to see, and it was resolved, and then I got so much more than I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're going to get into that a little bit more, but um, general thoughts of the season as well, of the entire season of Game of Thrones, of season six... Um, and what do you think about this particular season uh, in the comparison to the, like, five, four, and three? Uh, I would say this is my favorite season. By oh, far. nice. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And as someone that's read all the books and read all the side stories and everything, I was kind of concerned going into this season because this would be the first season where they had to kind of make up a lot of how the scenes were going to play out uh, based on what George R. R. Martin told them. Uh, but I think they did an amazing job. At first, you would think, like, the pacing of, how much stuff they crammed into this season would be kind of jarring, but it really doesn't actually affect the pacing of the story and actually makes it for, I feel, a much better told story than the previous seasons. You don't, you don't feel like any episode is like a filler episode. There's something significant you can take from every single episode. And 
the characters, the actors definitely stepped up their game as well, mm-hmm. especially oh, yeah. the the female uh, characters. They definitely did an amazing job with them this season. I, I thought one thing I really, really liked is how every episode just kind of followed a central narrative and how it connected to the rest of the show. Like, you could almost go back... Uh, this The last one we just watched was clearly a Lannister episode, and then we had this, you know, the snowball... Uh, we had, uh, yeah, we had Arya before that, and then we had, um, the return of a pretty big character that we haven't seen in a while. Blood of My Blood, honestly, I kind of forget what happens in this one. But I still kind of remember all of them have, like, I think, I think this one was travel. If I remember this right, it's like people leaving certain places and then, and being on the road again. And I think that's what kind of tied it all together. Yeah, it's bringing back in the phrase and journey to the Riverlands. Right, right, yeah. It's 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 less of like and a. It also talks about Arya facing her choice. Right. So so this was right. kind of like the beginning of her taking her road. And Sam confronting the... his dad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Gonna... I think, I think the big thing, and this is this is something I I don't know. It's just like it's just good storytelling. Is that you can confront characters with choices. And then you, in your mind, have to decide where you fall on it. And I think when we get into the spoiler section, there's a good one from the finale that, like, the entire time through the scene, I was like, I have no idea whose side I pick. Because I can see arguments from each one. I think that's really effective storytelling in in that you can't necessarily make a clear-cut decision on what is good and what is bad. Okay. We'll, we'll get to that scene yeah. in, in, in the spoilers, but uh, I'd like you to like kind of think about that while we talk about the rest of this, because they really did a killer job on that in this season. So I would say if you haven't seen any of the Game of Thrones, or if you haven't seen episode 10 from season 6 of Game of Thrones, you should probably stop listening for here. We're going to make a quick pause break so that you have a chance to actually stop it, go watch it, then come back to the actual section. So please stop this podcast and watch it, because it's phenomenal. So, we're talking about the last particular episode, so the last, you know, episodes 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Um, we're probably going to be focusing more on 10. 9 and 10. 9 and 10. 9 and 10, excuse me. We're going to focus more on 9 and 10 because, wow, uh, from one aspect, for, for me in personal, from one aspect of a, uh, a love, a particular battle, but then I love a battle of dialogue and cinematography and everything else of the reason, realistically, why people go into film and TV and stuff like that. So I felt like both of those have probably the strongest suits ever. So who wants to begin? So this the scene that I was talking about a couple minutes ago, um, not necessarily my first win, but I really liked it, was the scene where uh, Mel was accused by Davos and Jon Snow was there. I thought that was that was brilliant. John owes his renewed life to Mel and the Lord of Light, apparently. Unless they introduce something else later that is the real reason that John... More or less has. Again, unless they change it up later. Mel is short for Melisandre. Yes. Um, So, and then... But he also owes a little bit of a debt to (laughs) Davos for all of his, like, his kind of tutelage throughout the time they spent together. Well, and rescuing. The right. Bowl. right, right, right. Well, no, that's more Littlefinger. But um, well, no, I mean, he's, still... he, he's the one that charged in with the horses right. after John right. by himself. So, protective commander. He, he he definitely owes him. And then watching them, like sitting there watching 
those two characters argue, and but having John have the final stay, say was very interesting because you, on one hand you're like, yeah, she's a child murderer. On the other hand, you're like, her black magic gave you life, mm-hmm. and like you had to juggle this equation, and it was brilliantly shot, and that you could feel the confusion that John would say, and that, that I think he came to the right compromise of saying like, get out of here. And if I see you again, I'm going to kill you. We've also seen people try to kill Melisandre before. And it come up very and short. Does, and it doesn't happen. Although none of those two know it. So oh, I also knows. think, too, now that she's leaving, it's well established that the whole, like, fire priestess is now back uh, Cersei. Or not Cersei. Or Danny. Uh, yeah, Danny, the, the, yeah. Like Danny and all that. And so it's interesting to see when she comes back, whose side she's going to be on. Like, whether she's going to be on Danny's side, or whether she's going to be on John's well, side, Well, if she or... teams up with Danny and then she meets up with John, what she's going to do in that situation. Exactly. Well, in what, in what circumstance they're going to meet, are they going to meet uh, on the battlefield against each other for the fate of Westeros, or are they going to meet together for the fate of Westeros in the Night's Kiss? Well, I can see, dude, Davos is going to get his revenge at some point in time. I would still kind of argue for the fact that you know, Melisandre or Mel is looking for this particular savior, this bringer of light. Does that mean that's Danny, or now does that mean that's John? So I think that she's also going to be Her conflicted. Kind of uh, always clouded. Yeah. So. Yeah. So now she like she's going to be kind of a clouded sort of complex sort of judgment to figure out which one is one and who's going to be the actual person of it. That was a badass line she had when. I forget what Davos says, but she just turns around and she goes, I was wrong. That was amazing. That was like her admitting her, uh, her, like, her shortcomings and like the fact that she's human. I thought that like a lot of the time these people just kind of like juxtaposed against the High Sparrow who's always just like kind of smirking like always right because he's always got the backing of the gods where she had this weird moment of like humanity. Like, she was a human, she was just like, yeah, I messed up, sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I mean, thought that was an awesomely tense, <clears throat> very tense scene. Yeah. I, I'm just, re- I'm really glad, it's very something small, very small, is that now, from the most, uh, from episode nine, you set something up of, oh, what the heck is Davos gonna do? And then he almost gets to the point where he's confronting it, but he's like, well, I have a war to fight, so I can't, this, that's not the priority. Now that the war is over, all right, I need to figure this out. And it was like a natural progression of I'm upset about something, but I can't do it because that's not what's important. Now that the thing that we now that we won, I need to bring this up because it's bothering me. It's like a natural progression of what people normally kind of feel. Well, I think yeah. he's also level headed enough to yeah. where he's like, I need John first. But he knows but I can't just attack. Yeah, but he at the at this point, and I'm really really glad of the writing for this small section of. Can you tell me what what you did? I don't. I want to understand what you did. No, no, no. He already knows what happened. He Whoa. he knew. It was one of those things. That was I know exactly what happened. I just need you to confirm it so that I know for sure. And that's when he's sitting there, like kind of crying and really upset. Uh, I, I I truly, truly, uh, I really like that. Actually, one moment. one thing. I mean, so speaking of a quick win, just the cinematography, the scene oh, that yeah. he finds the stag. Is maybe one of the greatest shots I've ever seen. It's in one media. of my favorite shots in the like, entire season. I'm I'm going beyond just Game of Thrones. Like it's it's just a brilliant shot with the like the rising sun, of the battle coming around, and then him all cloaked up finding this tiny thing in front of a fire. Like it's it's, it's brilliant. 
I did like that a lot. Yeah, the cinematography is definitely amazing, and especially in episode 10, like the first whole section, how it's very quiet and you don't have anybody speaking and it's just the music building and building, just building the intensity. Um, it reminded me, like, have y'all ever seen The Godfather? Yeah. So it's like the baptism scene in The Godfather, how they set that up where Michael's taking this oath of honor and oath of uh, a vow before God, and then he has all of his uh, opponents wiped out. And Cersei just did the exact same thing, and they actually brought in enough, I mean, the same amount of intensity emotion in this TV show that you have seen in one of the greatest movies of all time. Oof. I think we were all talking about this previously to, like, right before we started recording, is that that whole opening scene in episode 10 was pretty much shot without dialogue. Yeah. And now music, it's, too, is well, solidly first, on it point. It starts with just the bell, and then it starts to add it more and more and more, and it yeah. builds that tension of, like, that was so cool that Cersei is just there, plotting, and you're like, what is she doing I kind of think I know what you're doing but are you doing the thing well it was yeah. nice because like we saw a really really good sort of difference of uh, you got Sir Loris Tyrell is dressed in drab and he's being brought out in his trial and you see a, a particular handmaiden or servant is actually dressing um, Cersei up to the T and, and I actually put I was like oh that's kind of weird. What is she getting ready to do? That's weird that she's in this garment that she's going to go from trial that he's literally in the same rags. And we get more of this, uh, a bit of a backstory from um, Marjorie of like, yeah, she she knew. She wasn't going to come. She was never yeah. going to come. You need to op- like, open your eyes. I'm like, a little disappointed that Marjorie died. Me too. <laughs> I am I was, super disappointed. I liked it. And you know, we can go back and forth with this point here, but I thoroughly liked it. Because I know it in season one, season one, Littlefinger and Varys says the same things of when you play the Game of Thrones and you lose if you don't know how to play the Game of Thrones you lose or some sort well, of. Well, it's funny. She knew she knew how to play it. Yeah. She called it. She just she was just like blocked by it, like yeah. external circumstance. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's on her though because she's like cool like I'm gonna try to manipulate these people and she did. And she got to a, a higher point of cool, so yeah, I'm, I'm but here. She couldn't, I'm the queen. I can manipulate time. these people, but yeah. I can't outsmart somebody who's like, well, hey, yeah. gonna get you blown up. One thing I have to say, you, uh, I, you might say that her fuse ran out. Uh, <laughs> one thing I have to say is, like, I'm I'm usually not even aware of this at all. I think that in general, Game of Thrones does a great job with costume design. That I thought that the outfit Cersei was wearing the whole episode was amazing. Like yeah. it, it looked like nothing we've seen. Like every character gets their own specific dress, and you know immediately where you are by the dress. Red dress is Cersei. Like, and yeah. that that black dress was something we well we hadn't necessarily seen that out of her. I'm glad. And then like- she just kind of emerges in that like has like the you know the metal on her shoulders. That like you know chain across her chest like it was just it was it was a great costume design. Well, it looked like she was wearing armor. Right, she was going right. Into battle right, and like right. fighting and yeah. It was, and that's and it was they, good. I mean that's how they 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 shot it too with like the person dressing her was literally like a squire dressing a knight for battle. Yeah, mm. I, I would I would also say like even the color and the actual style of that particular dress tunic or however you want to say it, it's like she's getting ready to mourn. "Quote unquote mourn" because she's wearing it was all black she was wearing 
That was well, probably the, like practically it was all black. She knew that she was going to kill people. So was she getting ready for that particular funeral? I don't know. I was interested. I think the one thing that they said in the after the episode that was interesting was that uh, they were talking about how Tommen killed himself mm-hmm. and how it was almost kind of Cersei's fault because she didn't come and give him any support. He was sitting there by himself in that room for however long it was, just thinking, oh, I just lost everything. Well, he also realizes that it was Cersei's doing because uh, the mountain was there blocking the door and yeah, holding exactly. it. Like, he knows. He knows exactly what went down. And that's what he decided to do about it. It was... Going back to cinematography, though, yes. I have to go back to episode 9, and yes. the Battle of the Bastards, Yep, Bastards. which has probably some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. Correct. It's the like uh, Braveheart <laughs> ranks to 11. Yeah, yeah Whoa. it was incredible. There, there's specifically that one scene where he's standing, uh, John's standing in the middle of the battle, and they're just, it feels frantic. Where there's just horses and bodies and like headless bodies flying by and you're just like you just that that's what it feels like to be in the middle of that battle. Well it was it was I think we talked about this as soon as the episode ended, where we all knew that John wasn't gonna die, and all of us were holding our breath thinking that John was gonna die. Right. Like it was, it was remarkable where like you knew John was gonna live because because plot armor. Like, you knew that was going to happen, but still, when he, like, when he somehow makes it through the whole thing, you're like, <sighs> like, you know, this weird exhale moment, like, that... Well, because there's almost that suffocating moment where he's surrounded by bodies and he has to pull himself out of Yeah. It. That was the moment where I was just like, they can't kill him. They can't kill him. Don't do it. It's remarkable to have these things where, like, you have a, you, you have to have suspension of disbelief and... It's hard to do that with a main character, and I think Thrones did that in Battle of the Bastards, and that you knew Jon Snow was going to make it out, but you still were like, oh my god, he's going to die right here. Yeah, I mean, this harkens back to, I like how they captured medieval warfare at, like, almost its truest essence, mm-hmm. that the people that left the battlefield were just the luckiest guys that day. It mm-hmm. didn't matter what your skill is or anything like that. It's just, oh, you didn't get hit by an arrow, you didn't get speared... Thank your stars that you actually walked out of the battlefield. <laughs> That's well, true. I'm going to change gears just a little bit. Um, we're, we're probably going to be focusing a little bit more on episode 10. Um, but let's talk a, a bit about... I was going to say Arya, but let's we'll loop that in. Let's talk a, a bit about kind of Jamie. Like the siege that Jamie has on, the, on River Run. And I think they actually did a very good job of it in the show. Like, I think they captured the kind of, like, blasé attitude Jamie has towards the whole thing. And, like, you know, they actually captured the factions very well. And the, the talk that the Blackfish and Jamie has, like, they actually did well. You actually felt like they were just sizing each other up and saying, like, ah, oh, yeah, you're the guy I've heard about. Yeah, you're the guy I've heard about. Let's hope this never comes to fights because <laughs> we're not going to do well towards each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. I I thought it was brilliantly done. I thought they they also portrayed the the phrase as just incompetent assholes. Well, even a, Jamie says a line in particular. He was like, "Well, you know, why do we need the phrase?" Because yeah, majo- majority he says it to, 
point yeah. blankedly to Walter's face. Mm-hmm. Walter's face. I think it's going to be interesting. So, you know, it's, it's speaking of ten, um, like the whole Frey getting murdered part, ooh, which was amazing. But I, I was honestly actually kind of worried about Jamie, and this is weird to say because it's coming. I, I don't know, Brian, where you are on this one, but uh, it's coming from a book reader. Jamie has an actual redemption arc in which he's not just like this sister, like loving, like maniac. And you actually feel for him in his talks with, like, Brienne and a couple of the characters. You, like, almost feel his humanity. I actually got nervous for him. The way that, like, what we found out to be Arya was looking over, I was like, well, the next step after Walter Frey is going to be Jamie. And then, the, you know, the scene immediately after that, they showed him back at King's Landing, and you're like, oh, he's safe. But it, I, to me, it's going to be interesting when, if Arya starts attacking people on her list that you almost well, like. What's to say that Arya's not with Jamie's army, though? Because Cersei and Jamie are on her list. So right. what's to stop her from just following that army? To right. I think that Jamie was on her list. Yeah, oh yeah. No, Jamie's Jamie's. I don't think, I think technically he's being is. a Lannister. Yeah, but he's, he's but he he's a Lannister. He's not technically. It's it's. It was Tywin and Cersei on. Her. Yeah, right. I didn't think Jamie was on the list. That's why when she was, I, what I picked up from the most recent episode was when she was in disguise. She was looking at him to make sure she's like, yeah, that's probably Jamie. Yeah. But her looks at Jamie, and I like how they use Braun in this episode to talk about the difference between like somebody who's looking for more information, or I'm trying to get something out of you, or I'm trying to actually talk about, hey, I I know that's you. It's a different look of, hey, I'm not I'm looking at you, I'm just actually standing, keeping eye contact, but I'm not smiling or flirting or giggling. Where then you have the other women mm. who's smiling, flirting, looking and giggling. So there's two completely different objectives actually happening there. Yeah. And I like that I, I like that difference that was happening. I did not pick up on it at all. I mean I don't think anybody <laughs> did. Like if if you, if you said you did, you're a liar. But I don't think anybody else picked up on that. I was like, that's very interesting. And now if you look back, you're like, oh, I like the choice they made there because that's something that was pretty cool. And I actually like seeing that. And now that you can see that, oh, LeBron actually goes off with the two girls, but this other woman who keeps looking back at Jamie this entire time, I'm trying to figure out, I'm like, is is this person, is, is she going to fall in love? I'm not sure. But then we get the reveal that it's been Arya the entire time. Which is what do you think Jamie's going to do now that he's back to King's Landing? I kill Cersei. Yes. You think? Yeah. You think? Yeah. And if we're, if we're transitioning a, a bit more into that, kill Cersei. Well, no. we, we can table future. No, thoughts. no. Well, I mean, like even, this is this is the next progression of I'm thoroughly glad that Jamie was able to come back and I think he put a couple pieces together. I'm um, going back to episode. I believe this was uh, six. When uh, Tommen sent Jamie away, and right. he kicked him out of the King's Guard, and at after that moment, Cersei says, "Yes, I need you to leave. I need you to go do what the King's doing." He's like, "No, I need to be here." So she says, "No, I got this covered. I need you to leave." She knew that he would probably stop that, or a or b. Excuse me. She he would have probably died in the actual fire explosion. So now that he's come back and see that she's now queen, all of a sudden, he put a bunch of pieces together. And she's like, "You motherfucker!" It's very telling. You yeah. can just see it in his face. Yeah, like when she's you fucking killed her last. You killed her yeah. last child, 
Now I'm gonna I gotta get some revenge or something on you. And now I'm wondering if it's gonna vaulter into this is how Jamie is gonna then say, I can't do this anymore. Well, it's, it, it also it, makes me wonder if Cersei, I mean, if it just shows like more of the uh, passionate nature of Cersei, not the villainous nature of Cersei, that she wants Jamie out of the out of the red the red keep to make sure he doesn't die as well. So I mean they still have that connection. They're twins. They still have feelings for each other, but I think she does. She happened to have crossed that well, line. It's also interesting. This is the final blow to that. It's also interesting with, uh, like, the whole thing where you can design a character to be either static or dynamic. You can have a character change over time, or you have a character remain the same. And the interesting thing is when you play with that and you think a character is changing, and it, they really don't. And I think in this case, that last shot of Jamie in the balcony, ironically where Cersei was banished to in mm-hmm. the previous or two episodes ago, um, you get that same look that like, well, I'm the Kingslayer. He slays kings. He slays king. Like it's it's one of those things where it's like you have this whole arc on it, but he's going to end up killing her. So where do you think Danny is going to land? Where is her ship's going to show up? Do you Dorn. think she'll? Yeah, right, Dorn. Dorn. That's my yeah. immediate thought. Too. Yeah. Well, well, why? she, why she, she because, because that's why they're making yeah, the conversations yeah. with Dorn is that they have a landing zone. And so that was always kind of the plan. It like at least in the books, there's there's a character they haven't introduced in the show, and they they won't. I'm definitely assuming, um, but they kind of do. This, like, weird... Well, so it might be something different, because they do a weird pincer movement where the Dornishmen are mobilized. Like, the Dornish march, and they meet up with the Tyrells, and then all of a sudden you have, like, another army that just kind of lands on another shore, and they just pincer King's Landing. So it'll be interesting, especially the way they've done it. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, just thinking out loud, um, the way they've done it, the Lannisters are basically by themselves. They have no one else that they're... They're allied with, but they're one of the biggest. They are the biggest army. No, not no. Not not anymore. So who's who's the biggest army in Westeros? Apparently the Vale. Really. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Apparently the Vale, and this is all just based on like what has kind of been speculated. Apparently the Vale has the the most because they just haven't been touched by war. The Lannisters and the Starks were wiping each other out for the last you know couple seasons. Uh, The Dornishmen never had that big of an army. If I. There can believe right? to be a lot of Dothraki, though. That well, are no, no, but that's... Well, that's we're that's, talking Westeros. Yeah, yeah, that's not Westeros. But that could also make sense... Jimmy. That could also make sense of why, you know, Littlefinger is talking about, I want to be on the Iron Throne. If the Vale has the largest army, he currently now resides in half. Oh, he owns the North. Yeah. Like, kind of quietly, because it's just, like, any house that goes against him. Well, notice that out. he didn't stand up when they were doing all the chants. Because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have Like, yeah. 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 Uh, I do like something. I'm going off to um, Bradlin's point that you were talking about. Where If we go back up to uh, episode six, Blood of My Blood, when cool. Cersei sends Jamie off because, hey, I don't want you to be here because I love you. And that's, like, a conflict of interest there. Uh, if we go to episode seven, when... Marjorie sends off her grandmother in the broken man. Hey, I don't want you to be here because there's going to be conflict. I don't want you to be hurt. So I, I kind of care about you. See you later. Tra- like fast forward to episode ten. 
we have Daenerys sending off Dario Naharis saying, hey, I can't bring you over with me because there's going to be conflict and I need you to kind of stay here. That's a pretty, like, I mean, from those three particular moments, Cersei blows up the Red Keep so Jamie's safe. Uh, the grandmother leaves and the Red Keep's going to build up so she sh- she's safe. Who knows what's going to happen with Danny and the D- Dario Nahara storyline. Mm. I just think that's kind of interesting of seeing that now we've seen that for the like the last half of this actual season. I think that's a very, very... that's That makes sense. They put that in there for a reason. I'm wondering why they put that in. And I know there's definitely other pieces of information of, hey, I need you to stay here because of something else could actually kind of happen. Yeah, even though you cut the maskers down to yeah. a peg... There's no telling what they'll say as soon as I mean, Daenerys leaves Essos. Then well, that's her there's main a chance like, base that. of operations too. Like she needs right. that place. Ah, no. She needs someone that she can trust there, and no. she takes everybody that she like that she that are her strongest people with her. Well, I don't think. She, I don't think. Her, I don't think she'll lose one over. She's the already other. eliminated all the threats. Yeah. Now she's fully eliminated the threats. Well, she's calling it the Bay of Dragons now, but yeah. yeah. In the Bay of Dragons, if you don't have some kind of presence, right? Like, what what but, claim do you have? But also, like, that's a place where she can hold the ground and say, like, look what I did there. If it goes back to the way it was, but then it, what does she have? It doesn't matter because so the whole point of the the whole that hurt storyline was to get her over to Westeros. So if Essos goes to shit, like. Well, I don't think they're going to reference it anymore, but I think yeah. they need to set up that there's going to still be a presence there. I think because you don't just conquer a territory and then they go, all right, cool, we're moving yeah, on to the next right. one. Yeah. Like you have to have defense there. Well, I I actually kind of am interested in the whole thing of who is she going to marry, and they actually set up the whole episode like in that is in episode ten with like uh, yeah, there's probably not going to be a guy there, but like I have to be available, and I thought that was a very She's interesting cool. opening. Yeah. She's gonna marry. What's her name? Cersei. Josh Snow. <laughs> what Sansa? So hang on. This no, is a this is a non this is a non sequitur. No, I got you, Josh. Don't. She can't be with the weakest house in Westeros. That's just garbage. Who's the weakest house? Oh, good lord! The the Ironborn. The Greyjoys. No, oh. oh, they're terrible. Ugh. Yeah, they're t- they're awful. So this is a non sequitur. But so talking about like uh, we were talking about this before the the podcast. Where I thought it was great how um, both uh, Arya and Cersei had similar lines in this one. Oh, got okay. it. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> took a second of the synapses to connect. Boom. So with this, they both in this uh, like last episode said this effect like you will, I will be the last person you see alive, and that. Uh, Arya murdering Walder Frey, she's, she said the last thing you're going to see is a smiling Stark looking down at you and that Cersei um, talking to Septon Onella said that, well, I told you at one point that you're going to see me right before you die. Mm-hmm. Today's not that day, but it's still going to happen. I thought it was a very interesting juxtaposition between one character that we root for and one character that we really don't, but they're Basically doing the same thing. I kind of root for both of them. Oh no! I still don't like Cersei, but I like Cersei. To go back to a point that Blue made earlier, and Guillermo's been saying all season, uh, I want to go against them. That I like Arya's storyline. I feel like that was very satisfying 
to now have her as part of the story. Yes. She's moved back into the main part of the storyline, mm-hmm. and she's a huge threat. Yeah. Because she's learned all the tricks of the faceless, while also still being Arya Stark. Yeah. I, I, I thought her. Over, so yeah. It's yeah. Not this for her to take action. I this love season, this episode ten was super satisfying in a lot of ways, and that was one of them. I love how they just simply said that this is where Arya left. She's walking away from Jack and Haga, and Jack and Haga sitting there like, okay, you know all the information. The, that's the last time we actually see her. Now we see her. She's mur- murdering Walder Frey it's, using one of the faceless masks. I love that time. I love that t- a bit of a time that actually happened because now we have to figure out like, oh, so I'm assuming that she went from a ship, got there, found out that's actually happening, kind of snuck in there, become a... Now, I, I, that's stuff that I, we, don't necess- we don't need to see because if we see that actually happen, I'm like, well, I mean, I can put two and two together to figure out what actually happened. Yeah, I almost kind of wish there wasn't the whole wave thing. Like the Terminator wave. Like, because that, yeah. that weakened it. Because speaking to what you just said, yeah. it almost would be better if um, she you saw her initial training and then didn't see her again and all of a sudden she shows up murdering Walter Frey. That was episode um, 8, season 6. That was probably, like I was saying earlier, the weakest episode for all episodes of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I didn't like... Because it, it truly focused on the Waif being a Terminator and it didn't make any sense. Hmm. And I didn't like it at all. And it truly did not make any sense from the actual storyline that was happening right. so, previously so and after. If you showed her at the beginning of the series or the beginning of the season getting some training and then just showed her like showing up, it would have made a whole bunch more sense. Yeah. Like I just didn't need any of that like no. the Waif nonsense. I don't know if I... I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that if you just showed training and then her going and murdering people, then you would assume that she's faceless. But she's not. I think you needed that story arc to show that she said she was going to be that person, but she's not actually. There was just too much. There was too much. There may have been too much that storyline should have happened, but it might have been too much. It was over-explained. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. It, it would have been cool with, like, right? one or two scenes. I mean, the biggest thing is that you can't have the wave without having the actors. The the actors were actually a good part. But it wasn't. The only... I, I feel that the only reason why the actors are there to say that, hey, Arya has a soul. But at one point, and if it's not going to be Jack and Haga... show her struggle. There has to be some kind of expression. Of exactly. Right. So, it's not Jack and Haga. So, what shows her struggle of, hey, I want to help these people. I want to do this because, like, I don't want to do this anymore. The only thing that's there to show her that is going to be the wave. And that's why she was there. Yeah, I mean, she pretty much learns the difference between vengeance and justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, going through that whole mm-hmm. thing. And so, she has these skills, but it's better, like, how is she going to apply it to be the most effective of bringing justice to the justice. people that That's actually a good point. Justice. That's a good point. Instead of it being just justice or just killing it's actually her bringing vengeance and her gaining the skills to bring about that vengeance can you talk about Jon Snow actually I wanted to bring up a couple of scenes of course go for it so there's two I mean there's a lot of scenes in season 10 or episode 10 yeah but two that just got me very emotional one and they also harken back to previous seasons and it's a nice juxtaposition between uh, inherited power and earned power. Uh, so when Daenerys gives Tyrion the hand of the queen, yes, I mean, yes. it's a very so. understated moment. But you, 
I mean, automatically that one scene is done so well. You remember season two when Tywin says, "You're acting hand of the king. Show us what you got." And he thinks it's like kind of fun and games, but he's actually very clever and very good at it. And he's like kind of impressing people at that point, except for the people that actually matter. Mm-hmm. I I think too one of my favorite parts about that scene is right before it is like the breakup scene. She breaks up with what's his face, and. Even during that, it's all very, like, prestigious and very royalty and very prim and proper. And, like, for a breakup, she's still acting like a queen. And then as soon as she walks into a scene with, with Tyrion, she basically is like, oh, my God, she sits down. She, like, yeah, swallows out. I love that. I kind of wanted to, like, see her kick off her sandals and just be like, this sucks. Like, it, it, it was just interesting to see those two scenes back to back. And I like that she, I I like that she brought up that... Tyrion, that she tells Tyrion that you didn't really console me that well, and I think that speaks to more of like her choice of her hand is someone that not isn't necessarily going to make you feel better, but someone that's going to let you know did you make the right decision or not. Well, I thought it was also interesting that he brought up he's like the dwarf told you to do this, didn't he? And then you're like, she's saying no, you know, it's like eh, it's something I need to do, and then she walks into Tyrion. Tyrion's like, well, that sucked, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's like, Okay, he did. Yeah. I mean, I like that kind of uh, comparison of what Jesse was talking about of, hey, I have to give bad news to X person, so I'm going to go give bad news to X person, and after it's happening, I have to be, like, super strong, but once I'm out of that particular light, I'm like, I can fall apart. Oh, like, oh my God. Just, even her, her entire body gesture, as yeah. she's coming down the stairs, is coming to her, you can see, like, the shoulders slump, like... The whole vibe changes where she's like, okay, I don't have to be a queen for, like, just this conversation. Even from a set design perspective, going from from a a bit of a theater perspective to the point where you go from somebody having a different level and she comes from a higher level going down to low. She comes from the steps and she comes down to the same level and literally she sits down so her and Tyrion are at the same height level, almost. When they're sitting down talking, she's like, yes, I want to be here with you and I definitely get this. Then going to the uh, the scene that Brylan was talking about, uh, then she appointed him of hand of the king, uh, hand of the queen, excuse me, so that she steps down, saying that hey, I want you to actually have this. He then kneels down even lower to know that she's standing up. He's already raised and he's still lower than she is. Yes, because he's a dwarf and stuff like that. That's just a really, really great set design piece of and it, like blocking and character action and everything that you can think of of um, theater wise of that makes sense of to say that hey this is where the power is and the power is definitely shifting towards the highest point on the actual scene. So I thought that was phenomenal. You could also see this everywhere in the actual scenes to the point where Daenerys is sitting down and she's saying that hey you can't come to Westeros when she's talking with Daenerys. Harris. He's already standing up. The only point that he can to try to kind of argue his point is when he actually sits down next to her and says that, hey, I love you, and all the stuff, and he kneels next to her, which is the same exact picture and the same exact reference we get when Jorah said it, too. So I thought that was pretty interesting about that. Yeah, and it's also telling that Tyrion tells her that she she's the first person he actually believes in or the first thing he actually believes in. Yeah. in his lives because he was a very cynical person yeah uh, and um, and it's and it just feels uh, very rewarding that he finally has earned a position in a, in a high honor in a place that he can make a difference and he did it through a travel of his character that took him through 
so many highs and lows just to get to that point where you think like at the beginning of this season or even last season, he's not in a good place. And he kind of has to earn that trust and rebuild himself into a different person to actually be stronger, which I thought was really cool. I actually didn't like this, and I don't like this in the books either, <laughs> that like people blindly just follow into Daenerys. Like, he's not the only person that's just like, yeah, I'm better for right now. It's like, well, what has she really done? I don't think he... That's, that's not a blindly yeah. to follow he, well, No, no, it's not, it, it is. He was a skeptic at first. Well, him. right. You right, can see that he... Well, we, not only well, that, he, but even, I mean, he also, you know, he killed his dad, and he's like, I've got nowhere else to go. I think that Tyrion's probably the smartest person in the Game of Thrones, but going from that... That's when I think that he's sitting there and like, cool. So, all right, you have this, you have this, you have this, you have this. So, why aren't you ruling the actual kingdom? So I'm going to... But I'm that's, gonna that's, the, that's the separation. I think that's why I didn't like that scene, was that I don't think he believes in her. Or from where, where his character is, I don't think he believes in her more than just saying, you have the biggest army. And I no, think that's a he big... he believes in her. I, I still like him as a cynic. I still like him as, like, like what has she really done but with, on her own? I think that changed when he saw her get on the dragon. That was the moment where he was like, oh, shit, she's not. Right, right, right. But that's not, that's not believing her as a good ruler. That's just believing in her as a good conqueror. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference. And I think that that's the that's that's why but she's I, proven it time and again. She showed up at Marine. She's a good right conqueror. Moment. She's a good conqueror. She's a great conqueror. Um, I definitely here for that. Um, let's go into Can the I next one here. I know that. Yeah, I'm, I was just yeah. saying. Let's go because I know Bradley had a, a separate right. sort of thing to bring up. So what's so up? I want to bring. I want to talk about John. I want to do this kind of backwards. I you first want to talk about John Targaryen. Um, we'll get into that in a moment, but first I want to bring up just another thing that harkens back to season two, a season two scene is the King in the North scene. Mm. I mean, that was very emotionally Uh, impacting, but also think it's also awesome to see that, um, people were with Rob, they declared him King of the North because he's the son of Ned Stark. He's the, he's the true heir. And then with John, he's a bastard. I mean, it's something that he actually had to earn through whether it's the Battle of the Bastards or showing his leadership in um, in the uh, Night's Watch and having to actually go around and like collect these families and get people to vouch for him, like, hey, this is the guy you want to have in charge. He's going to do good by us. And that they are able to sway the Houses of the North to actually declare him the White Wolf, King of the North. I mean, that I found that to be really nice juxtaposition on how Rob was declared king versus John and what the differences are between them as well. Can we talk for a second? Well, just basically everyone say, yeah. Uh, Liana Mormon? She's the totally coolest. Yeah, yeah. Is so good. Yeah, man, sorry, man. Dude, she, like, the greatest 10-year-old to ever live. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. She showed up for, like, a few seconds in the other episodes, and now this one, she gets, like, a minute, and you're still, like... Dude, she, <laughs> she's so good. Dude, she... I mean, her look, it's making its rounds around the internet right now, but her look at the beginning it's, of Basterball, her, her, like, sure. scowl of, like, Really? Like, bitch, really? Like, is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. 
That's all. That's all. The Iron Woman is the yeah. coolest thing. I mean, that, like, I'm, I'm really, that's all we needed. I'm yeah. really happy because I saw, and we definitely got a lot of the information coming from Rob uh, when they were saying the King of the North. They kind of declared that, but it felt completely different. What are your thoughts on why it felt different? Because I have a couple of them, but I'm interested to get some more deeper insight. Um, much like when you were talking about Brylin, because. The battles that Rob won was because of, hey, I feel like I'm the king of the north because I don't agree with Joffrey was talking about. And he had a well-equipped, well-strong yeah, army ready to go. Exactly, where John has now amassed his army because, hey, listen, I'm amassing this because I need to take this back for a bigger issue. This is something that the entire kingdom needs. This is not something I want. Partially, yes, he definitely wants it, but at the same time, they even talk about it like this is there's a bigger battle out there. So, looking at the comparisons between you know season two and season six, how do how do you think that actually kind of compares between you know Rob as the actual king of the north, quote unquote? Um, how do you think that also compares between um, uh, John as the king of the north? Also, how do you think that also compares to the point of the conversation that uh, Tormund and Sir Davos has of, oh, hey, we talked about this false king that we actually happened. Well, I think it feels different for two reasons. He knows that the White Walkers are uh, a, the bigger threat in the North, and so he's preparing for that. But the other reason is because of Sansa being there um, and her being a strong backing, and the only actual named Stark that's that everybody knows is there. I was holding my breath the entire episode for somebody to call him John Stark. I was hoping that Me she... Stark. Does she not have the power, like, as the last Stark to... to does somebody like, have we the, them? It, like, yeah. with him? That's so, the thing is, uh, only the only the king of Westeros, or the, whoever is the overlying king of all the seven kingdoms, can actually declare well, someone... But is Cersei really... Can so that's That's the thing, is, like, there's so much strife and war going on, miscommunication, yeah, Sansa could probably say, hey, you're going to be Jon Stark now, and no one would care. Uh, but eventually, policy will come around and actually... I, well, I just want somebody that in that scene to say, but, I, I'm here for Jon Stark. And yeah, like, I, so and I, I don't think, think... The big thing, like the difference between Rob and Jon's... I mean, kingships are... Rob's kingship is all about separating the North from the South. John knows eventually he's going to have to unify everybody to because they're about to face the biggest threat they've seen in over a thousand years. Well, I also don't think that John like thinks he has to unify. I think that if he had to, he would face the Night's King one-on-one. And he, the whole point of his character is that he happens to be some secretly brilliant politician and getting dumbasses to follow him. Like, literally, like, his whole thing is just, like, stumbling through this that, like, he's such a likable character that people are like, yeah, dad, dad, let's just follow him, he's fine. <laughs> like, and I think it's it's funny where, like, I don't think he has the ambitions to unite the whole, like, all of Westeros. I think he just, like, he's like, we need to stand up for this because of these reasons. And people are like, yeah, those reasons make sense, let's... Let's be with him. Yeah, I don't think he has, like, the drive to unify all the kingdoms. Right. Uh, he's more of, like, I'm going to have to 
get the word out to everybody, hey, shit's right. coming. Well, we got to make sure we got to get ready. I don't think they said it in the Battle of the Bastards, is that uh, even though she was talking about Ramsey playing people, it, but he's been doing that his whole life, John hasn't been doing any of these things his whole life. He doesn't have that same command skill. He doesn't. I don't think he's got the same political skills just, or any of them. He's a pure he's a character. Smart dude, he's very pure. Yes, but he doesn't have the skill that some of the other characters. Do. One, one thing I thought that was very interesting was that the whole, the whole part where Sansa and John were kind of arguing over who should take the lead, I thought was very interesting because you could go a number of different ways into that scene. Where Sansa's like, yes, I'm the Stark. Or John will be like, I'm the last remaining male heir. Like, I thought it was interesting where they just compromised. I, I just didn't yeah. see it coming. There was a whole bunch of different ways it probably could have gone. I was expecting Sansa to get more aggressive after the last right. couple things she's and done. She, because, you know, she has this little finger issue. Right. Over her. But she, I think she also realized that she has the little finger issue and that John is probably her best chance of escaping that. So, do you think Sansa is going to take down little, like, take down Littlefinger as part of, like, her... Because she's cutting her teeth now. She's becoming kind of a badass. Ugh. And I'm not saying she's going to, like, shank Littlefinger, but she's going to outwit him at some point in time. I, I truly hope so. Because that will be the part in this entire series of she's actually showing me character development so much. She's shown me a little bit. I need to I need to see a drastic change. Even in this episode be. ten, she says that I was a little girl and now I actually kind of learned something. And she, now this is her second time that she's like avoided and kind of backed off Littlefinger. I was like, no, this is actually this is not going to happen. But she's been more of the defensive and passive type whereas I need her to be especially if it's a Stark a more prideful and aggressive type you need to unleash the phoenix that was a pretty (laughs) that was a pretty solid moment where she pushed she pushed Littlefinger away but I don't that's a pretty tall order to outsmart the other the other thing is I don't think it matters I, I literally just don't think... I don't want to hear this. I don't... I just don't... The way, I want to hear it. The way, the, the way that this show and this narrative is trending, it doesn't matter. Jon Snow has his army. Daenerys has her army. The Night's King has his army. The Night's King? Fight. Literally, they, they've done a great job of it just not mattering. Like, yeah. this is the armies that are matter... And then they're gonna fight. It, like it really doesn't matter that Littlefinger will be re- uh, rejected by Sansa. I mean, it's still going off of you know what Josh a little bit was talking about more recently. Of I I know it doesn't matter. I, I definitely get that. But I think as an audience member, we are we are trying to root for Sansa because she's she's done a, she's been dealt with a, a shitty hand. I'm not the shittiest hand. You don't have to. But what bad has she done versus all the good she's trying to do? She bad the, the the bad that she's done was she killed Ned Stark. She also got uh, she got killed. Yeah. yeah, lady. She got lady killed. She's she, not a good character. Yeah, she's not. She's not a good <laughs> actress. That's a whole separate thing, anyway. But I would say of she's this is her redeeming chapter for her to redeem herself. In order to outsmart one of the smartest and cleverest people in Westeros, that 
would be phenomenal. And if she can outsmart Littlefinger using something that Catelyn Stark never did of, yes, I know you love me. Catelyn Stark says, yes, I know you love me, but I'm already married. Sorry. Sucks, sucks. So you think she's just playing. Correct. If she can use that allure and says that, yes, I know you love me, so let's try to, boom, and you're going to die. You did the exact same thing of what you did to my aunt and I'm going to do to you. And now that actually talks about Ooh. the power. Yeah, that talks about the power of women. Oh, that'd be awesome. Wrong. No, she but won't be. That, that'd be awesome. I mean, I would love for her to do she that, but that talks about the power of women. Like, the overarching thing that I guess what I'm getting at is the power of women in the show is phenomenal. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you can rule anyway. Well, no, 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 the reason I brought up Littlefinger, the reason I brought him up is they're clearly trimming characters. And if I had to think about it, like a major player who's going to get trimmed off, there's only 14 episodes left. I'd like to think he's high up on the chopping block. Yeah. I think, so, hang on one second. To go back to your point, I think uh, that... Warren's point. Warren's point, yeah. Um, I think that this show really shows that it doesn't matter physical strength, man versus woman. Yes. Like, it's just, if you if you have some sort of power, you can make it. Yes. And I think that's, like, the one of the, the best parts about this show is that there is so many different ways to get to where you want to be besides physical strength. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and that thoroughly, I completely agree with you. When you're transitioning from episode, uh, excuse me, season one, two, and three, you're transitioning from the king of the entire Andals was a man. There was all kings everywhere. That's episode, season one, all kings everywhere. It started transitioning to... Daenerys comes into power, the actual king, Robert Atheon, dies, the queen comes into power, more and more women are saying that, yeah, oh, even at Dorne, even what? at Dorne, and even the grandmother of the uh, high, um, the high flowers. Olena is such yeah, a Elena, saucy me. bitch. She, I love her. Yeah, yeah. She, funny, is a, she has that power. You're now seeing that we're transitioning from season one of, well, all men into power, to the point where now season six of... Hey, guess what? There's majority of women are in actually power because yeah. they actually do it a little bit more efficient. On that better. same note, at one point, Cersei, during the interrogation scene where she's like torturing her former torturer, oh. she says that she killed Robert. Yes. Yep. She openly says that. Yep. Like, well, that entire scene was phenomenal because at the end, she's like, she it, right? "Yeah, no, actually, I'm hoping somebody can remind she, me." She oh. convinced Lancel to fill his cup and keep him to drink wine. Correct. So he's too drunk while he's pumping the bowl. Well, I thought, really? it, I thought and, it was, and I thought that's the joke him. that I was making to they you. Him. And there might have been a drug in there. But yeah. Yeah. The way it's explained mostly is that he just got so drunk and he couldn't because defend Lancel himself. Kept filling his cup because. He, he was Robert's cup filler. And I love that scene because she's like, oh man, like, this is my son and these are my children and I fucked my brother and I, I've killed my husband and I've done all these terrible things and I'm torturing you. You know, man, this looks, this feels really good getting this off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I really like confessing. I appreciate Where is this. Your God? I, uh, yeah, like, oh, it's, it's such a, that, that scene is such a strong very dark, very twisted, but that that is a strong scene of. It reminds me why wow. I love Lena Headey is because yes. our our get remembered like when scenes come like this, like uh, that Cersei is 
one of the most clever people in Westeros. Yeah. Oh, and because the that have you get, oh, oh, no. You get, yeah, because yeah, for a lot of times you actually see her just in these conversational pieces that can go on about, I mean, it could be very boring policy and just uh, how looks are deceived, how looks are. And I don't know how you can say that, Blue. I mean, if you've survived but this if anybody long, personifies, if anybody personifies <sighs> their house's sigil, it's Cersei. She is a lioness through and through. That even if you have her backed in a corner, she's just gonna wait it out, wait it out, and then at the right moment, she's just gonna she's got, strike. She's gotten lucky. I don't she know. She might have gotten lucky. There's but this like, is a lot some, of seasons she's gotten some, through. There's some behind the scenes stuff that just like, oh, she's an idiot. No, Cersei's in my eyes has only fucked up a couple times. She's actually one of the smartest. In the game. No, oh no, she's not. Uh, she's not. I at wouldn't all. say she's the smartest, but she is a clever character. She's the smartest. She's clever, she's but like she's also an idiot, and she just has. And she's very prideful as well. She just has. I mean, she's untouchable. Like who in King's Landing is going to yeah. touch her? Like but, realistically, I mean, I mean but Jamie. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's but, but but seriously, like like, and the fact is that he probably will kill her. But one of the final scenes, I mean, of this season, you see her sitting the Iron Throne, and it just brings back. Oh, throughout this whole series, she's never been the absolute ruler in power. She's just she's wanted she's to. kind of always been there. She's so always like, kind of yeah. been there, but now it's like there's no one in her way. It's it's through her and no one else. So it, and I think it's very telling that you got a new, like a little bit more vicious Cersei here because her last two kids that died, she was more it definitely, vicious. It definitely it definitely struck her. I mean, you could definitely see that humanity in her. Her humanity is dead. Yes. By the time Tom and by the time Tommen kills himself. Well, that's the thing. Fine. That entire scene, she's though. like, "Yeah, he's dead. Whatever, burn him." Like. Yeah. She doesn't care. I think she, yeah, she was probably dead before that. Her her humanity was dead. She, her humanity but, died with the mountain. Once the mountain showed up. Or maybe just the Walk of Atonement. Uh, the Walk of Atonement was a trip. But that's when the mountain showed up. Well, well she, that's the first time we saw she's it. She's like, cool, you did this to me, so I'm going to kill everyone. Mm. And yeah. she did. Uh, one thing we haven't brought up is some of the other smaller storylines, like the Hound. Yeah, I think we were all kind of freaking out when the Hound returned. It was good to see him again, and I, I'm interested to see how they play with that story because um, the the brother without banners they're kind of they're kind of important in the books, but you really have you see him very sporadically throughout. Well, the series. and they have a character that they haven't introduced yet, and I don't think you'll ever see that. I character. don't think you'll ever see that character, but I don't think it matters either. No, they were also literally pissing on the rumors that she would appear. But I, I think I think a lot of the like this is leading up to like the next two seasons, it's all about converging all these characters into one big place that these conflicts are gonna resolve themselves. And so a big one is the Clegane Bowl. Yeah. How are we gonna get Sandor to the mountain? Or how are we gonna get the mountain to Sandor? So the one thing that I loved about too about his return is it was the first episode that it did like a pre 
theme song bit. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't think they've great. ever done before. They've never they, done they, that. They've never done that before. That was it. And it's very bright. It was very colorful. It was like a very positive opening scene. You're like, yeah. what am I watching? I remember everybody in this room. It came on and everybody's like, what the fuck? Like, why are they doing a bit before? I called it. Yeah. Yeah. I did, do you remember? You did call it. You literally, literally, everybody screamed when we saw the hammer. Like, yeah! yeah. Well, so, that was fun because he turned around and then all of a sudden it was like, Theme music. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was so. That's the only time I've ever done it, and it was so well executed. I actually, actually, speaking of music, I don't think I've ever heard an episode play the Game of Thrones theme song as many times as it had in the the tenth episode. That's true. Literally, well, no, every... no, 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 no. There were a lot of uh, parts where they played it. I rewatched the first three seasons recently. And, oh, did they do and it? they do play the theme. Well, so it was a return to that because literally every theme they introduced today always resolved into. Bum, bum, ba, da, da, bum. Oh, they have like a whole choir score and like, yeah. like singing children singing the theme. No, it was yeah. definitely this. This is the first time in a while that they've returned to it. It's true, but yeah, but um. Coming back to uh, John a little bit, um, let's talk about R plus L equals J is confirmed. Hey, uh, I want to hear it. I think so. It I think is. it's a really good way of how they did it too. Did we have people say like, "Hey, John, John's dad is Rhaegar and his mom is Lyanna"? No, but you had through vision, through the imagery, you kind of put the pieces together. I just want to see from y'all. Do y'all think? They did it really effectively. And also, do y'all think if that birthright comes out, do you think that's going to cause trouble for John to keep his kingdom So is together? that all that Brandon is here for? Is he's coming back to expose... So, hey, guess what, John? Guess hey! Who you are. No, I think Brand, Brand's part. That's someone we got to talk about. But. So, I wave my toboggan to you. I thought that scene was <laughs> actually was marvelously done. Yeah. The fact that they didn't quite say it, but they gave us the bloody promise me scene that we've we've heard about in the books, like that, ah, it was great. It was really great. It was well acted. I think that the way that they shot the baby's face transitioning into John's face oh. was amazing. Yes, like it just portrayed everything you wanted to know without actually saying it, which is great storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed everything about that scene, even to the point where kind of even looping in a, little, a bit more of um, kind of brand. I know that we kind of mentioned this a little bit, but if we go back to episode oof, six, was that the that was the episode in which we see? Yeah, that was after the door. So yeah, uh, episode six. That's when we see Brand's vision, mm-hmm. and now episode ten we see three. Two key pieces of information of what happens from Brand Vision. The Red Keep explodes, or excuse me, the Septon explodes, right? Mm -hmm. And we also see Ned starts leaning down, looking at his hands as Lyanna's reaching up to him. Mm -hmm. So those are two key pieces of information that we've seen. We've saw the shots already inside the actual episodes before. Now we're actually getting that from Bran. And I love all I wanted from this all I wanted from this episode was to see Bran and get some more information. Now he's going back up through time and saying that he's getting everything. That was the previous three I'd raven of saying that I need you to have I need you to know all the information. Well, this episode too, he finally accepted being 
the three-eyed raven. Yes. It was the first time that they were like, okay, like, are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, well, fuck, I have to do it now. So, I don't know, it was a good moment for him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just glad to see Britain back this season. So Because he's really? been key. He's not a key. He's not a key. He's not a key. We're getting so much backstory. Absolutely. Dude, he is absolutely... He is the catalyst. He is the reason. Bran is currently at the wall. The moment that Bran crosses the wall, you know that that's how the knight army is going to get across the wall and start the war. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Blewett brought that up. False. Blue and brought that up. I'm pretty sure it was Josh. Season. You're not that cool. So I would say that uh, Bran is probably the actual key of everything that's going to happen. The reason why, just going on a, a bit of a script analysis and literally standpoint of once you have a character that that's powerful, they have to have something that's a detriment to them. So. Yes, that can be all... I mean, no legs is kind of a big dead. <laughs> not, not even close. I mean, no legs means that I can look into the future in the past. You still have no legs. It doesn't matter. He has legs in his vision. Yeah, so. it, it doesn't matter. His complete downfall is going to be looking into that to the point that he's already done it. And he's going to know that I've already... In, and even Benjamin even said it in this episode of, hey, there's a power that I can't necessarily kind of breach that. Once he breaches it, you know that that's going to actually start. Now, is true if Bran knows about it or not? I'm not sure about that. But I do love the fact that we got a lot, a lot of... We finally got the story of the Tower of the Hand. Tower of Joy. Tower of Joy. Tower of Joy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the drunk. One thing, so, about, <laughs> one thing about Bran, which I hope, I mean, plays out, that, it, that he's not just used as the deus ex machina to oh, reset everything. Yes. Yeah. Be happy. I want to make sure that they they kind of ground it a bit. That yeah, he has this great power, but um, this is how it's going to be used, and no more of that. I still am convinced that Bran will have nothing to do with the finale. Me too. I, I seriously. Bran's Bran's backstory and nothing more. I seriously think that like he is literally the the only reason for him is to find out that John is a Targaryen, and that's it. And literally, it's Danny's dragons and Longclaw. That's that's the finale. That's it. That's it, all it that matters. Be, but this is speculation. Speculation? speculation. Can we also bring up... Uh, Drawn. Can we also bring up Sam? I was going to say, what about oh, Sam? Turd. Sam? Sam had some great moments. No. But what Sam, Sam meeting his family and... It was dumb and it was all stupid. It was, it was a dumb scene. That scene was actually really... I actually liked off. his dad, the actor. Yeah. It was a, it was a well done. It was... It made me feel awkward, which I think accomplishes its goals. Well, it was, it was another thing that we were ta- we talked about uh, a little bit more of, man, men are pieces of shit, and women are probably the way to go. And almost every father figure, besides Ned Eddard, has been terrible and has never necessarily appreciated what, what they actually have. I think Jamie's been a pretty good father figure. Yeah, I was going to say... Are we? Are, are you joking right now? Jamie's Jay- been awesome. Jamie has not been a father figure because he can't be a father figure. He's They're- a father figure to what's her name? Gwendolyn to- Christie's character. If you want to be, and that's, no, 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 no. He's a love interest to Gwendolyn. No, no. there it is. No, listen, love interest. we can Fuck see you. that. Gwendolyn Christie's 
excuse me, Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn Chrissy's character is Brienne, for everybody who has a hat. Brienne, sorry. That is a love interest. That is not no, that is at not. any that is point. Not that is not, not a father figure Actually, I actually think they do a great job of viewing them as equals, which is something... I like again. It's good chemistry, but I don't think he's a father figure. No, he's not, not. Even, it's not. It's, it's, I was actually referring to his literal actual children, and he's a he's, good like he's his, not chil- a father. his children look up to him. He's not. They they don't know his they, that his he, they, they he's his dad. His children doesn't even know that he's their father. But they still he look cannot up to do him. anything because he has been sworn out of oath of necessarily doing anything. So how can he be a father figure when he can't be there for his? They children? still look up to him. Uh, I think they look up to him, but in the sense that they would look up to any other knight. I don't think it's necessarily. It cool. Be cool to be him, but. Um, uh, I would say this. <laughs> Joffrey said, "Yeah, I'm going to appoint you, but eh, you're just kind of there." Tommen said, "Hey, I'm going to strip you of your actual title." Marcella was the only person that looked at you, and guess what? She no, actually died. No, no, she died no. like Bro, come on. After. If you're telling me there's no way that you can say that. I love Jamie. Jamie, out of all this, is probably one of my favorite characters. But there's no way you can tell me that he's a positive father figure to his children because he simply can't be of, a, of all the secrets he's currently housing. It's, it's not possible. I think he's, he's fine. You shut up. You shut up right now. <laughs> shut up in your mouth. You should be about. What else we got this episode? Uh, episode or these last few episodes? Yeah, um, particularly the last episode because we got a lot of awesome information in this one, especially going on the title because the title of this episode is what? What? Winds of Winter. Yes, and this is the title of the book. The next one that hasn't been written yet. So. Now, and we we get into a bit of the situation, in which case that we can talk a little bit about of now. What do you think is going to happen next? Because we're not going to get another season for some time. So, I'm actually, right now, I I had never thought of the Citadel before, which mm-hmm. is where Sam is now, where he's trained to be a maester. That's right freaking next to Dorne. I didn't realize it was actually on Dorne's borders. Mm-hmm. So, but like, it's its with, own thing. It is. It is. And I, they have I, their I, own storyline, so too. So, in case you... No, here's Dorne, and here's where the it's Citadel It's like going is. to the back. So got a visual for the thing. audience. Yeah, a little visual for, you know, our We're radio We're currently looking listeners. at a map of Westeros. Yeah. And I didn't realize it was right there, so it makes me wonder if Sam's going to run into Cersei before most of the major cast members. No, she won't. Danny. Danny, sorry. Well, again, I also think that I if they were smart, they would just do the... Because, ty- so, Dorne sits right under the Tyrells. Um, like, literally. So, I think if they were smart, they'd have the Dornish army march north to the, the Tyrells. And then the Tyrells move over and then land... Well, the Tyrells are already helping the Dornish, as established by right. old woman Tyrell talking to... Olena, who's one of the highlights of this entire show. Oh, oh so yeah. Good. So but, good. But Dude, it, that whole so... scene where she fucking throws down on the... Yo, sea, the, the sand, sand snakes? snakes who like, they previously fucking... showed as like very strong, independent characters. But anyways, I think that if they were smart, they would combine the Dornish army with the Tyrell army, and then have Danny with the Dothraki and the uh, Unsullied land on another coast and then pincer king's landing so i don't think that you don't think they'd land on the no because you have you have one unified front versus two couldn't they land there and then split off no because it's a peninsula so it's like the dorn dorn goes up into like the rest of i'm I'm uh, just i'm very curious where she's going to land 
I can't see her showing up to King's Landing because that doesn't work very well. No, no, no. It won't. It will be. No, it won't be. She's landing in Dorne. I I would say she lands in Dorne. I guess the question then is is if they show up at that many ships, do they have any wildfire left? Because they have wildfire, then it's going to be another standard situation. They also have an army. They're not going to attack famous horseback riders. Like that's their whole shtick. Is their good land? Yeah. So I think they're gonna. gonna I think there's somebody out in the water though. Yeah, no, well, they have the Ironborn. So I think whatever is to the uh, the east of King's Landing, if I have my directions right, that's where she'll land. Stormlands? Yeah, yeah, she'll land in the Stormlands, because that's where, that's where young Griff landed. And that's where Dragonstone is, which is right. the hereditary right. house of the Targaryens. Too. So, what, what, Bronn, do you remember where young Griff landed? Uh, I, I thought it was in Dorne. No. That it was made with uh, Dar- Dorian. I didn't th- no because I thought that he landed because he re- landed with uh, Cunningham in some other place. Oh, I know that name. You told me that name. That he, but oh, they had to, they had to, ke- they had to beat a couple castles to actually like get a foothold. I think that's what they're gonna it do. It might have been the Stormlands. I think that they're gonna land in the Stormlands because it makes so much sense. Like you have two major armies over here, and then you have Danny's whole collective over here, and then you just pincer King's Landing. It would be dumb if you had a one front. Like, that's stupid. Well, the one thing that I would say is, uh, it, as we start to start wrapping up this section and talk about a little bit more of what are we excited about, but uh, Maester Pycelle, that guy's dead. He's yeah. Dead. I'm glad they did that, because so in the books, they have the, like, literally the epilogue of the last book is Kevin gets murdered. Kevin Lannister? Kevin Lannister, in the exact way. Literally, you see him beat up with Varys. Well, so in this one, it's Quiburn, not Varys. But mm. you get you get Varys, and he like he's like, yeah, this is what's gonna happen now. And then all the little, like the little birds come out of everywhere and just murder him. I'm so glad because they knew they knew as a show they couldn't accomplish Kevin like dying in that way. Because it doesn't matter. But they gave us the scene, and I st- I love that when they give us a scene that happened in the books. Just in a slightly different way, just a for pure fan service. I love how they say that. Hey, you remember this character? This character is still dirty. Yes, this character is still alive. Therefore, we're gonna get rid of this character for you, Mister Pricell, who cannot, who's not supposed to be able to sleep with women, still sleeps with women. And then he's like, "Cool." He follows his person down. They actually get killed. You also have. The other character who who died, like one of the worst, is um, Lancel Lannister, who slept with Cersei, and has been although he quote unquote like absolved like he he already spoke about his sins and everything like that, but he still did it, and he went down to the actual sort of like underneath, and he was one of the first to actually kind of die from wildfire, so. Um, I, I don't know who said something about like kind of a fan service sort of uh, episode, but this definitely spoke a lot for that. At least to the point where I'm like, I'm glad that they actually kind of killed. Even if you're not talking books, like this is a very fan service episode yes. for everybody who's been following along because it wraps up so many storylines, and I'm so glad they got rid of certain characters because I can't, I could not take any more episodes of the High Sparrow. Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah. like I was so sick. I'm of I'm so glad he's dead. I kind of find myself conflicted on how to think about this High Sparrow's death because there's part of me hoping he was a certain person that they allude to and then huh. conspiracy. Howland. 
Yeah, which would have, I thought would have been awesome. I still, I think they're going to find him in the Krenogs. But, yeah, you think they're going to just go through the Krenogs and, hey, there's Howland. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. But, I, honestly, I don't think they're ever going to find him because I don't think it'll matter. Because Bran will just be like, hey, this is what happened. So, if, for all that you don't, like, yeah, keep at, us up at home. Here. So, there's this theory going on that Howland Reed mm-hmm. is actually the High Sparrow. And Howland Reed is the only other person besides Ned Stark to know who John's true parentage is. Correct. Yeah. And at the Tower of Joy scene, Howland is the guy that stabs the uh, knight in the back. Arthur Day. Arthur Day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's this Arthur. big thing that, like, we haven't been introduced to Howland Reed yet, both in the books and in the show, and he's this very, very important historical character in knowing a lot of different backstory. But where would he be at this point? Well, so he's in a mystical castle that moves around. Like, that's the only... That's the best way to describe it. Hmm. So, Howland Reed is Mira and Jojen's father. Yes. And so, the castle that they inhabit, you... I forget what the exact spell is, but you have to, like, want to find it to find it. So, the, like, the room of requirement for Harry Potter fans. Right, right. Yeah. Or, it sounds like you're talking about Howland's moving castle. He basically lives in a swamp, Good call. and so it's hard to find where he actually is. Right, <laughs> so in, in, I don't think anyone's ever actually made it there. Yeah, unless he allows them to find Unless it. he allows them. And so there was the big thing where the, pro- the thought process was, before going into this season, was that someone would find Howell and Reed, and Howell and Reed would be the one to spill the beans on John's parentage. Hmm. Obviously, the season completely contradicts that, but... Right. And then the other thing was that Howland Reed became the High Sparrow, converted, and is now, you know, in King's Landing. Right, and just trying to tear that up as much to weaken them as much as possible. Right, right, exactly. So, we'll be... I don't know. I mean, it could still go a different way in the books, but... Yeah. I would say my biggest... I don't know how much older he looked than Eddard didn't those flashback scenes though because he was old and Eddard was not that old yeah Eddard looked really stupid young in all those flashbacks yeah but Howland I mean the, the High Sparrow was old as hell that's what I'm saying is he didn't look Howland Reed in that scene didn't look old enough to be that much older than Eddard eh, people yeah. age differently yeah they do <laughs> I would say by that's pretty damn old though High Sparrow looked yeah I'd say my one biggest criticism with this season is just how they treated the direwolves. The direwolves are such an integral part to mm-hmm. the Stark storyline mm. that we had two direwolves. Summer, at least Summer, got to attack something, and then Shaggy Dog's just like a half-ass prosthetic head that someone just chunks at John's feet, <laughs> and it, it's kind of a shame that they didn't really. I guess it's really hard for TV to actually capture the same ideas behind what the direwolves represent and how they're connected to each of the Stark children. But some of my favorite scenes in the book are like the scenes with Nymeria. That even though she's been told to run away, that she's still out there doing things on her own still. Well, I mean the the big thing there is that they Ghost wasn't in any episode after the first two. Yeah, what did he go? On vacation or something? Yeah, like I think that I think that they did a good job with like the whole direwolf dies and then the, the person dies after it. And Shaggy Dog... False, though. Shaggy Dog died and then Rickon died a couple uh-huh. episodes later. But I think that 
they should have brought Ghost. Like, why the hell wasn't Ghost involved but, in the Battle of the Bastards? But Summer died, and that's it. Yeah, and you're, that, you wouldn't think right. Summer would die because Bran uses Summer so effectively, too. Because he's the best one that can... He's the Stark that can warg the best out but, of but, Yes, but, but he had... Oh, go ahead. You have, no, a, better, so, you have a better sense. So, so in terms of that, I thought it was very... It was actually interesting that Summer died, and then Bran isn't Bran anymore. Yes. Bran's a three-eyed raven. Yes. So he's not a Stark. He's, he's devoid of any sort of family name... And that his, his direwolf dying is symbolic of that happening. So I thought they used it well in that That's regard. Shaggy Dog, I mean, that whole, like, it, I don't know. It, Rickon just sucks. Like, you never really <laughs> learn enough about Rickon. Yeah. I mean, just like, I'm saying, like, we can also talk about a bunch of things of, like, with Lady to the point where, like, Lady died very, very early. But Lady died so early because Sansa Arya was like, eh, well, I kind of don't care about this wolf. I just want to be a Lannister. And she is. And then she becomes a bolt. So she already given up on the whole, like, House Stark sort of lineage. But now she's trying to come back to it, which I don't think she can. But, you know, we'll see about that. No, I, I like that. I thought that was, that was well done where, like, it literally, again, it literally, it, exactly what Brian was saying was, Lady died, and Sansa as a Stark died with it. Yes. I thought that worked perfectly. And the fact is, even, again, with Nymeria off in the middle of the woods with this her huge pack of wolves... Family to kind of find herself, too, so... That's right. kind of like what Arya did, too. So right, really... right. And so Arya is out there on her own and then comes back as, like, the, the big hunter. Yeah. So I thought it was... I, I think the one big... I agree with you. I thought Ghost was underused as a character because there's no way Ghost would not be at the Battle of the Bastards. Ghost should have been literally, like, the whole scene with horses are charging at Jon Snow, Ghost should have been right next to him. Yeah. 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 It it felt missing. As great as that episode was. That episode was one of maybe the best hours of television I ever watched. So let's wrap up a little bit, and I would love to spend probably about two to three minutes on a couple things. Next season, what do you think? I'm all about theories. I'm all about everything. I'm all about the crackpot theories, or some people call it, I'm all about the Jesse Rand theories. So what do you think? So I think, I mean, this goes true to what I said, I think, at the midway point, that I think that next year the wall goes down, and then the year after that, I mean, there's only fourteen episodes. Right, I think I think 14. episode episode six or seven next next year is the wall comes down. And that's I mean, it. I feel like that's why they were trimming the fat is so that we can get to the wall coming down, the big battles. Yeah, I think on. that I think the next the next two seasons are literally like I don't think Danny's gonna I don't think Danny's gonna experience any like discomfort at all. I think she's just gonna. I think take, the big thing will be like they'll set up like to. Danny versus Cersei, and then Danny just steamrolls her. Yeah, uh, D- Danny has between the Dornish army and the like the Tyrell army, like and the Dothraki. Yeah, the yeah and the dragons. And the, and yeah, the dragons. It's, it's like it's, it's one of those things. It's like the Lannisters. Again, it's funny when thinking about like Littlefinger has the largest standing army in Westeros until Danny lands, and then it's just like, well, nothing's gonna. Literally, it's 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 basically going to come down to, will Danny and John fight, or will the king's knight 
of the Nice King bring the wall down and they all go, let's fight this person Maybe first. she's just going to steamroll her way all the way up to Winterfell and then by the time she gets to Winterfell, she's going to realize her That's shit. exactly what I think as well. It's, I don't... She's going to go all the way up to the, the northern point, the wall's going to go down, and then it's going to be John and Danny and... Guess what? They're both single, sexy, hot, and beautiful. And, they and Targaryens feeling. marry yeah. their siblings. It's true. Yeah. They, yeah, exactly. They've established and, that. And she's John's aunt, so it'd be extra gross. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you mean extra spicy? I mean that. I feel like. I feel like the thing is though that I. I feel like we're underselling how cool this is going to be. Like again, I think the wall is going to come down episode six or seven next year, and then. The, the last season will literally all just be battles of, like, Danny fighting in the south, John fighting in the north, and then we'll meet up and have, like, three episodes of battles against the Night's King at the end, and then that's going to be the series. And I think that's going to be the coolest freaking television I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I, I, I already know kind of what's going to happen, and I'm still just like, I want to see this because nothing else will compare to this. You can, I mean, you can, have that, like, episode or two at the end where they kind of, like... They throw the bag and everything. Yeah, yeah. They, they go off in their you own. You can kind of anticipate the big things that'll happen. I'm looking forward to, like, more of the subtle things, like, to see, will we have the Clegane Bowl? Will that... Is that gonna actually ever happen? I don't think so, it will. I hope so. You don't uh, think it will? And Littlefinger is a big wild card. I mean, he can go either way. I think sense. Littlefinger will die in the first three episodes next season. Probably, but yeah. it'd be interesting to see why and how. I think I, I think that I think that was a re again going back to what I was saying earlier. It was really clever how they did with Sansa and John potentially having a rivalry over who has the actual rights to like House Stark, and then them both being like, "No, we're in this together." Like I thought, the one of the best lines of this episode was the "We have to start trusting each other." Yeah, that was a great. I think I like the line. And I think I'm talking I, about subtle things. I want to see. I want to see if John gets his. Yeah, you know, somebody gives him a name instead of him just being a bastard the whole well, time. Well, I mean, that could certainly. Well, no, Danny will have no reason to know. Well, that's what the John thing. Is. Danny marries John, and Danny, how long is her fucking name at this point? Like, she's gonna give John a pretty solid name after that one. Yeah. <laughs> I just know I would cry if I see Nymeria and Arya get back together. Well, that's. No, I mean, that's the theory, right? Awesome. That, like, yeah. they'll. Arya will just warg into Nymeria and then run free for the rest of eternity. I hope she doesn't warg. Yeah. As and then, like, how they... I mean, closure with Bran, like, exactly what's gonna be his last contribution to the story. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot to look forward to. Yes. Yeah. So, I would say thank you so, so, so much. There's a lot of stuff that we probably completely missed, but that's okay. So, what I would say is that if we did miss it, Please feel free to either email us, tweet us, or go onto our actual Reddit. Email us at downtofrontpodcast.gmail.com. Um, we have a bunch of different tweets that I actually do a lot on like all the sorts of different wines and what we actually have. That's the Twitter at, at underscore D-I-F-P, as in Down to Front Podcast. Uh, we do have a Reddit, so we do post a couple different things like here and there. Um, that's going to be downinfront.reddit.com. We are currently on Stitcher, uh, and currently we have one of our other fans. I'm not sure if you know uh, this guy, but uh, the Mr. Derek Sung has a pretty awesome and hilarious Twitter account of at uh, uh, friends w blends. So at friends with uh, blends is actually pretty hilarious. Uh, Bradley, where can we kind of find more of your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bryland. 
I keep it simple. How do you spell that? <laughs> How do you spell that? How do you spell that? <laughs> it's B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Noise. Noise. And with that, we will say goodnight. So, uh, my name is Warren, and uh, thank you so much. I'm with here with my, uh, my best buddy, uh, Josh. How's it going, bud? Goodnight, all. It was 10 out of 10 for the season. 10? 10! I said a 10. That guy passed away. It's super I sad. I know. We're not going to end on a high note, and we're going to end on a much high note. But, uh, Mike, how's it going? I actually disagree. I thought this episode, uh, this season was 5 out of 7. Boom, that's a Star Wars reference. None of y'all get it. I'm done. Bye. Yeah, no, I got Bye. it. It just wasn't that good. Bye. I hate you Bye, so Felicia. much. Bye, Felicia. Jesse, uh, good night, bud. Good night, everybody. And good night, lastly, to Brylin. Oh, good night. And thank, it was an A+. Plus. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and we will see you next week when we try to figure out exactly what we're going to review because some of us has talked about the Independence Day, but we know that's not going to happen. It might. Nah. Either that or uh, Swiss Army Man. Oh, I like Swiss Army Man. Good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Love you.